WTBRFM, Pittsfield. Welcome to Ham on WTBR, the all-inclusive ham radio show for hams and non-hams alike. Be part of the show. Contact us on www.facebook.com slash hamjamtv. And now the hosts of the show, Peter and Jessica. Ham on. Pittsfield, Massachusetts. It's Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. So you must be listening to Ham On exclusively on WTBR-FM. And good morning, everybody, from Studio B here in Pittsfield. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. So let's start off. We have a big show today. We have, uh, we're going to talk about... A really big show. Really big show. We're gonna have a uh, discussion about DMR radio, for the which is one of the things I wanted to uh, get out last season. So we're gonna have uh, somebody come on and talk about DMR radio here in a little while. So that should be interesting. And if we have time, we'll have session three of of ham cram. But I, I thought it was funny. One of my Facebook memories today. Was you looking for somebody to do pumpkin to do an interview on Pumpkin Patrol a year ago? Yeah, uh, don't don't, <laughs> don't think that's gonna happen uh, this year. But speak, didn't I say twenty twenty has been kind of funny. some kind of year? Let's see. We um, had we had the murder hornets for a short time. <laughs> Until yeah. they said, screw this, we're not. Screw yeah. this, we'll come back at a convenient yeah. time. And we have the ongoing <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> yes. We had the threat of. Two hurricanes. Yes. One of them is going to make landfalls coming in as a cat three. Which we'll get to, in, which is which is great. We'll get to that in just a moment. Thank you. Um, and now... Well, it's not great that it's coming in as a cat three. No, and no, 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 now no. they say, NASA says there is an asteroid heading for Earth. For Election Day. I don't know, the day before Election Day. Um, wow. And NASA says there's a 1% chance of it actually hitting the Earth. And they have three spots, but they refuse to tell us what the three spots are. Yes, yes, because 2020 wants to double down on the crazy. So, you know, when we get to 2021, it's going to be one of those, like, we don't, we don't, we had 2020, but we don't talk about 2020. Yes, it's, uh, yes, it's like the role of Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight so Club. So history will be... 2019, 2021. No, exactly. You, like I said, it's like a real fight club. You so, don't talk yes, about fight club. KD2KOW is here. She brought up the hurricane. I think you actually have a piece of news. Yeah. So, let's get that. Let's uh, get that piece of news taken care of about the hurricane. <coughs> and. As Marco weakens, attention to Laura may, which may be a cat, too. Yay, wonderbar. Now, with now tropical storm Marco continuing to weaken, that's a good thing. And it's coming in. Um, 
off the coast of New Orleans, so that's starting to weaken. That's a good thing. Yay! <clears throat> the National Hur the Hurricane Watch Net, HWN, uh, cancels plans to react to reactivate this m on Monday morning. Although no longer a hurricane, no longer a hurricane. Marco is producing heavy rainfall and gusting winds along the portions of the northern Gulf Coast. National Hurricane Center report. National Hurricane Center reported at 12 UTC. Marco has. Marco was 85 miles south southwest of the mouth of the Mississippi River, with maximum sustained winds of 50 miles per hour. Moving to the north, moving to the north northwest at 10 miles per hour. Mm, not bad. We we now set our sights on Tropical Storm Laura. Currently, currently located located south of Central Cuba. Watchnet Watchnet uh, manager Bob Bobby Graves. KB KB five HAV said and is forecast is forecast to move into the Gulf into the Gulf of Mexico overnight, where it is expected to strengthen into a cat to category two hurricane before making landfall late late Wednesday evening. Or early Thursday morning, with it with its fast forward motion, it should remain a hurricane well into landfall. Oh, wonder bar. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> Graves advised though those in a storm's projected pathway to pay close attention to state and local authorities. Right. And my wife, Darlene K2KOW, who's up at the butt crack of dawn every morning, um, checked out the news, and you have kind of an update since that story. Yeah, unfortunately, the hurricane is now been upgraded to a th uh, three cat category three, and um, it's hitting right straight to Louisiana. Yeah, it's right here, and it it was expect it was expected to make one fall along te along Texas and Louisiana Gulf at midweek. So yeah, she's right on target. Yeah, she is. She's category three, and they expecting if either she slows down or not, she'll come up as a cat four. And we know exactly what happened last time. There was a cat four. It was a cat five. It was Katrina. Yes, we right. don't need. We don't need a replay 2020's, of that. Twenty twenty's been bad enough, people. Let's we don't need a replay of Katrina. He <coughs> goes ahead and he goes. Okay, I'll tile it down. All right. Um. On, on, on other news, it's nine oh eight or nine oh seven here in Pittsfield. As another step in the ARRL's increased focus on strengthening its emergency communications. Mm. And capacities, the long-standing working relationships with federal, state, and agencies and private emergency response 
organizations. ARRL has hired Paul Z. Gilbert, KE5ZW, of Cedar Park, Texas, as its first director of emergency management. Yeah. Gilbert brings more than 30 years of experience in public service in both his professional and amateur radio endeavors, beginning with his appointment as emergency coordinator in 1987. He has held multiple positions in the ARRL field organization, currently in his second term as South Texas section manager. He has also served for more than a decade as the West Gulf Division's assistant director for public service, acting as liaison between division leadership and local, state, and federal emergency management organizations. What are you doing over there? She's talking to her game, people. <laughs> she's, got, she's got her game on while we do this show. Check this out. It's heyday. There you go. <laughs> so if you hear her making weird comments, it's not towards the stories. It's to the fact that she's got her game on to keep her going here. Professionally, Gilbert most recently was radio officer HQ staff for the Texas State Guard, where for the past six years he has been responsible for planning and implementation implementation of the organization's communications capacities. Previously, he was a public safety radio coordinator for a Texas agency charged with overseeing that organization's large-scale disaster communications response and identifying and eliminating in-state interoperability issues. Gilbert, who has an amateur extra class, is a member of the Army Mars and holds numerous DAH certifications, including COML, COMT, COMT instructor, an Oxcom communicator. He is a member of the FEMA Regional Emergency Communications Coordination Working Group, <coughs> a graduate of the FEMA Emergency Management Institute Exercise Design Course, and was a founding member of the Texas Division of Emergency Management Communications Coordination Group. In his role, Gilbert will manage a team responsible for supporting ARRL emergency communications, Programs and services, including the Amateur Radio Emergency Service, ARIES, and the, N and the National Traffic System, NTS, as well as lead the, the continued modernization of those programs in conscience with future emergencies. Communications needs, communications needs of the public and ARRL's key partners. So there, so we got somebody to, uh, in the league that's going to help bring ARIES and the NTS up to speed. Hey, we're going to go to the break. When we come back, we're going to have a little discussion about DMR, Digital mm. Mobile Radio, which you can get on your technician license and talk around the world on an HT and a hotspot or a repeater. But this will all be brought up. So uh, this is uh, the ham on. Yes, and I'm on WTBR. WTBR FM. And we will be back after, 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 after the break. I, for one, dream of an America where everybody knows that the bird is the word. My God, is it possible? Have the boys in the lab confirm this. If you are turning 65 within the next year, it's time to start thinking about Medicare and your coverage options. Nationally, there are more than 55 million people on Medicare and each day nearly 10,000 new people enroll. 
Understanding how Medicare works and transitioning to new medical coverage can seem confusing and overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. That's where the Serving the Health Needs of Everyone or SHINE program at Elder Services of Berkshire County can help. SHINE counselors provide local, trusted, and unbiased help for Medicare beneficiaries, their families, and caregivers. Get face-to-face -face personalized guidance from trained and knowledgeable counselors who live in your area. Local, trusted, and unbiased help. If you are a current Medicare beneficiary, SHINE counselors can help with public benefits and coverage questions that often result in substantial cost savings. If you would like to schedule an appointment with a SHINE counselor, call Elder Services of Berkshire County at 413-499-0524. Stop the spread of germs that cause COVID-19. Wash your hands often or use hand sanitizer. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean things that are frequently touched. Cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. Use a tissue or your inner elbow. Stay home if you are sick. Avoid close contact with others. And think ahead about how to take care of yourself and your loved ones. For more information, visit mass.gov COVID-19. Okay, kids, Dad's gonna teach you how to dance. First, spread your feet apart. Then, pump your knee, nod your head, shake your hips, and bite your lip ever so slightly. Now, with one hand in the air, point at people with the other hand. I call that the rock star. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now, make a face like it just smells something bad. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. We would be honored if you would join us. W-T-B-R. Well... We're going to talk about DMR radio, digital mobile radio. And I'm going to try to explain it in a way that makes sense to you, so you'll be able to program your radios if you're first getting into DMR. Uh, like me, a lot of people out there uh, had not had any introduction to it. And it took me a little while to figure it out and get my mind around what was going on. So I thought I'll do a video where I explain how DMR is set up, how it's configured, what it is, and explain all the terminology because there's a lot of terminology that throws people off. You know, there's time slot one and two, there's color, um, talk groups, um, uh, <clears throat> there's a, a different way that you handle channels with a DMR radio. Um, so, yeah, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain how the technology was configured. It's set up for commercial radio and how hams have shoehorned that into the way that they've applied it with repeaters and the internet uh, to extend, uh, extend talk groups across the network. So once you understand what's actually going on, then those terms make sense when you're programming a radio. And uh, it, it's a lot easier to understand it. Um, and then we'll also look at a, a sort of semi-generic scenario of programming um, a radio and applying what, I've, what I'm uh, teaching or talking about here. DMR, Digital Mobile Radio, is a standard that was actually ratified 
by the European Telecommunications Standards Institute, uh, Etsy, back in 2005. It's been around for more than a decade. Um, and it's commercial radio. It's designed for commercial radio, and they wanted, um, they wanted a more efficient way of doing commercial radio. They wanted a more consistent um, level of audio quality, being digital. Um, and they wanted more control and uh, capabilities with the system um, where you could configure things for, um, for an institution or an installation. So um, we'll uh, go over here to the main computer and uh, we'll take a look at how DMR is configured, what all those terms mean, and how you can program your radio uh, for a DMR repeater in your area. Alright, I have Cubic sitting here on one of the local DMR repeaters because I want to show you what the signal looks like. Now DMR is digital, digital mobile radio. So what does it look like? Well, I'll show you what it looks like and I'll show you what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. Now here on FL Digi, you can see on the waterfall there, there's a ton of tones. This is the audio. Um, there's a bunch of tones. There you can see some data right there before it went, before it went back to an idle. So what we have is, is many frequencies here, multi, multiple frequency shifts keying <laughs> on steroids, right? So a ton of frequencies there that passed by and the digital data that was uh, involved. Let's do it one more time. Well, if I, there we go. Okay, so anyway, digital data stream. All right, so we know DMR is a digital stream, right? It's a digital stream of ones and zeros, a very dense digital stream. Now, one of the uh, labels in DMR that confuses people is time slot one and time slot two, TS1 and TS2. Uh, to explain what those are, let's imagine that we have this digital stream of ones and zeros, okay? And let's imagine that we have audio, and that audio, uh, for one second of audio, takes 4,000 bits, or 4,000 ones and zeros. Okay, for one second, 4,000 bits. Now, let's imagine that our data stream is running at twice that speed, 8,000 bits per second. Okay, twice what you need for that 4,000 bit audio. Well... Since we have twice the speed, we could divvy that up, couldn't we? So let's imagine that we take that digital stream, right, that's running at 8,000 bits per second, and we have two streams of audio um, that are running at 4,000 bits a second. So what we can do is we can slice that up into two slots, right, and then buffer it in the computer. So the first 4,000 bits will only take half a second, but the computer will buffer that and stretch it out for the full second. And the second 4,000 bits um, will take half a second, but the computer will buffer that and bleed it over into the next second. So what you essentially are doing is you are churning your one stream of digital data into two completely isolated channels at half the data rate. 
So as long as your stream is running fast enough, you can slice it up into what are called frames. All right, and in the digital world, this is framing. This, these are packets or frames. So our stream is constant, but we're slicing that up into chunks and using those chunks individually. And in DMR, that is called time slot one and time slot two. And uh, what's happening is your radio is turning on and off. Now, each of these blocks is actually 30 milliseconds in duration, right, in DMR. So your transmitter is turning on for 30 milliseconds, turning off for 30 milliseconds, if it's in time slot one. If it's in time slot two, it's off for 30 milliseconds, and then it's on for 30 milliseconds. And the timing has to be in sync with the repeater or the other radio. So they do some RF tricks to signal each other and synchronize so that they are listening on the same 30 millisecond gaps. And then the radio is turning on for 30 milliseconds and turning off for 30 milliseconds. And that way you have two completely independent digital channels on the single data stream. So that's what time slot one and time slot two are. Now, the way uh, DMR is organized, um, it's really made for commercial radio, right? And in commercial radio, you might have uh, in your facility uh, a bunch of radios, okay? And let's say that you've got those radios organized in groups, all right? So maybe these radios over here are owned by your security staff. And these radios are, are being carried by your maintenance staff. And then you've got a manager. Now, the way commercial radio used to work, you'd use digitally coded squelch, right? Uh, you'd assign each radio a number. Um, there'd be a subaudible tone that would be sending out a, a number for the radio that it wants to open up. Uh, and that way you could control who hears what. If the manager just wants to talk to maintenance, just the maintenance radios will, will open up when he, when he sends that particular digitally coded squelch. Security, the same deal. He sends a different number, puts it on a different channel. That channel sends a different digitally coded squelch, and only the security radios will open their squelch. So we've had digital squelch control for quite a while. But in DMR radio, these are called talk groups. Since we're using a digital stream, we don't have to worry about opening the squelch on the radios. We can tell the radios to be part of a group that has a name or a number ID. And then this radio can say, I'm going to talk to a certain group. I'm going to do a group call. Now, you've heard that term, I'm sure, with DMR. There are three types of calls. There is an all call, a group call, and a private call. And they're pretty much self-explanatory. A group call, this radio will call talk group two. And these radios, they're all subscribed to talk group two when they're on a certain channel. So they're going to hear the traffic coming over the stream that says, hey, talk group two. And they're going to, they're going to open their speakers and decode the, uh, decode the uh, audio. Um, you've got one RF channel. Everything's going through the same repeater, so all the rest of the radios are hearing the carrier. They're hearing the digital um, information, but their computer chip is saying, oh, that message is for talk group two, so I can ignore it. Now, you can divvy these up on time slots, too. So you could have talk group one on time slot one, talk group two on time slot two. And you could have traffic going, even though you've only got one repeater frequency, you could have traffic going between um, different sets of radios at the same time because they've got their own time slots. You see, that's where the time slots come into play. So repeaters in DMR will split certain groups of talk groups off 
into different time slots so they can coexist. Perhaps local traffic will be on one time slot and the nationwide talk groups will be on the other so that local guys could be talking on the same repeater that somebody else is using to talk to uh, a talk group. So that's what talk groups are in DMR. Um, I wanted to say something more about that. Okay, uh, what amateur radio has done is they have taken these talk groups and they have organized repeaters with an internet connection so that all of these repeaters that are connected over the internet agree on the same list of talk groups. So like on the DMR, MARC, DMR Mark um, network, which is the most popular, there's a North American talk group and its ID number I think is three. All the repeaters that are tied over the internet know about that particular talk group. Um, so say that I'm here in Fort Wayne and I go to a repeater, uh, the DMR Mark repeater, and I subscribe to or, or transmit to talk group two or North American, let's say it's North America. Um, that signal is going to go out to all the linked repeaters and all the linked repeaters that also know about talk, North American talk group are going to send that signal out and all the radios at those local areas and those repeater areas that are subscribed to the North American talk group are going to hear my signal. So that's what talk groups are. So now we know what time slots are and we know what talk groups are and how they work. Now what about programming your radio? Well, let me pull up the uh, programming software that I use for the uh, radiotity that I have, the radiotity radio, and we'll show how you apply that. Oh, wonderful. Don't you just love Windows updates? They always seem to come at the least convenient times. Okay. Yes, yes, go to full screen. All right. So as I mentioned in our other, my other video, we have contact lists, digital contacts, RX group lists, and channels. Let me open up my configuration. So what I have done is my contact lists are different talk groups that I've programmed in. Like here's the North American one that I was talking about. And a talk group is going to consist of nothing more than a name and an ID number. So your DMR network that you're programming for will have a list on the web of the talk groups that are supported with their ID numbers, okay? And all you need to do is you go into your programming software and you set up a contact for each talk group that you want to use, right? North America, Midwest Regional is uh, 3,189. That's its ID number on the DMR mark network. So all the repeaters are going to recognize that. So you set those up as contacts. You can also put radios in here. If you know somebody's personal um, radio ID, you can put that in here as well. Okay, these are like a phone book. Um, RX group lists receive group lists. 
are a list of talk groups that you want to listen to at one time. So I made one called North America and I just put the North American talk group in it. But I could put the local talk group in there as well if they were on the same time slot on the same repeater and traffic on either one would open the radio up when I'm listening to this receive group list. So it's a receive group. It's exactly what it sounds like. Talk groups that I'm going to listen to together at the same time. So that's a receive group. I made a receive group for each talk group that is um, just that talk group and I'll show you why in a moment because we're going to get to channels. So the way you set your radio up is you set a channel up with a configuration for a specific um, arrangement of talk groups and receive groups. For example, this is the North American talk group on my local DMR, MARC, DMR mark repeater. So I've set this channel for the repeater's input and output, power level, um, squelch and all that information, you know. Uh, ooh, what's this? Did I change that? No wonder that wasn't working. <laughs> no, okay, digital. Right, obviously digital. Um, and on that channel I set my receive group list you know, to the North American Receive Group, and the contact name is what I'm going to transmit on. I'm transmitting to the North American Talk Group. So when I'm on this channel and I transmit, I'm going to this repeater and I'm going to this talk group, and I'm listening to that talk group. So that's how you need to organize it, and you need to set up a separate channel for each configuration. That can mean you can have a lot of channels in your area if you have a busy area. But you can organize that, remember? You can, you can join talk groups up, or receive groups up together, um, different talk groups in the same receive group to listen to them, but you're still only going to have one transmit group per channel. So you need to define a channel for each one. Now, if you travel, you can set up zones, which are collections of configurations. I could have one set of repeaters and talk groups for Fort Wayne, I could have a different one for Indianapolis, and I could name these zones Fort Wayne and Indianapolis and basically switch the entire radio's configuration when I switch zones. So that's what zones are for. Um, the one last thing that I want to mention is color code. That confuses people. Color code is kind of the same thing as a PL tone in the analog repeaters. Um, if a repeater is set to color code 1, it's only going to hear radios that are also set to color code 1. So if you had multiple repeaters in an area that were overlapping maybe slightly and on similar frequencies or the same frequencies, they would set themselves to different color codes and that works the same way as a PL tone. So if this repeater was uh, listening on color code 2 and another repeater on the same frequency one town over was on color code 1, when my radio is on color code 1, I'm only going to bring up that repeater. I'm not going to bother the other repeater. So that's what color code is. Okay, so we've talked about talk groups, we've talked about um, how you program your radio, and we've talked about how DMR is organized. It's just a, a cursory little view of it. I'm, I didn't go too deep into it. Um, I just wanted to sort of help maybe some of you uh, figure out what you're doing with DMR when you're getting into it. So I hope this was helpful for you. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up. Also, if you're not already a subscriber, click to subscribe. Join us on the Facebook channel for discussion about the videos. And if you'd like to help support this channel, 
please click to support me on my Patreon page. Alright, and we are back here on WTBR FM. A little thing about DMR radio. I hope that I hope that helped people. So hopefully, hopefully um, we'll have more on that. Um, we're gonna to go to the break and then we have time for ham cram session three. Yay! So yeah, DMR radio if here in Pittsfield there's no uh, DMR repeater, so you have to get a hotspot, and I'll uh, come up yeah, with uh, something probably next week to tell you how to get a hotspot and how to set up a hotspot. And then I got your Raspberry Pi thingy. Yeah, that's what my Raspberry Pi thingy is. It, it's it's. I'm uh, sorry, I called a Raspberry Pi thingy. It, it, it's a hotspot. So, uh, you're listening to Ham on. It is nine thirty-two here at WTBR FM. And we're going to go to the break, and then we're going to go to Ham Cram Session 3. So we will be back very, very shortly. Hi, this is Sean Sayre, Executive Director of PCTV. When Taconic High School was demolished, we could have lost this radio station. Instead, PCTV stepped in, built a new studio and transmitter, and gave the station new life. And now it's time to pay that back. Support this station today. Go to WTBRFM.com and click the donate button. You won't be sorry. Pittsfield Community Radio thanks you for your support. Wireless. You hear that word used a lot today. We have wireless telephones, wireless internet systems, wireless microphones. What it actually means is that they are radios. And who knows more about radios than amateur radio operators? Call them amateurs or call them hams. They know the modern wireless world. They helped create it. Now, streaming live on the web, WTBRFM.com. WTBRFM is listener-supported radio. That means we depend on your donations to keep the station on the air. All the local content and the music you love requires your support. You can make your donation today at WTBRFM.com by calling 445-4234 or stopping by our studio at 4 Federico Drive in Pittsfield. You'd be glad you did. Pittsfield Community Radio, for the love of radio. It's time to let old things die. Snoke, Skywalker... The Sith, the Jedi, the Rebels, let it all die. You have chosen wisely. W-T-B-R. Alright, we're back here on Hamon and WTBR-FM. Exclusively on WTBR-FM, the only ham radio show on broadcast FM radio. We have time for Ham Cram Session Three, so this is going to cut us close. So, uh, we hopefully we will be back to close. If not, we will say seventy-three now. Yes, we will. And, and uh, we'll catch you next week. But hope we should have time for the close. So sit back, enjoy. Here's Ham Cram Session Three. You're listening to Ham on. I'm WTBR. I'm WTBR FM. Embark on a groundbreaking journey into the world of amateur radio. This class is designed to acquire your technical class license. So sit back, enjoy the ride. 
Sponsored by Pittsfield Community TV. Okay, welcome back to Ham Prim 2018. I'm Steve, Kilo Alpha 2, Papa Tango Echo. Good morning, everybody. And I guess the next part up is called Weak Signal Propagation. And it says electromagnetic waves that travel through space are called radio waves. And there's a little diagram there showing your transmitter and receiver. Um, I know from my experience, it's uh, been said that the uh, radio waves behave a lot like light. If you have a window open, it's better because the radio waves can propagate through the glass better. Um, but that's basic, uh, that diagram there pretty much uh, shows you how the uh, transmitter and receiver uh, are operating. Um, there's a, looks like that's more like a direct, what they call a direct line of sight. <clears throat> when the transmitter and the receiver are in line of sight, you've got a really good chance of uh, two-way, what they call two-way propagation. Uh, when you get into the higher bands like uh, HF uh, shortwave and things like that, you're gonna be skipping off the atmosphere and uh, there's probably uh, questions about that coming up after this. Let's see. And it says the radio horizon is the distance over which two stations can communicate by direct path. And the next one says due to the refractive index of air radio, air on radio signals, VHF and UHF radio signals usually travel somewhat farther than the visual line of sight distance between two stations because the Earth seems less curved to radio waves than light. So I guess that's a scientific fact. You have to believe it. No time to explain it. <laughs> UHF signals are usually not reflected by the ionosphere, so direct, not Via a repeater, UHF signals are rarely heard from stations outside your local coverage area. So, yeah, I guess, uh, well, UHF means ultra-high frequency. So we're talking really, really uh, high frequencies. And uh, I know the frequencies behave differently uh, depending on the conditions of the ionosphere. That's one of my weak points. I'm a general class license holder. I just got a general class in February and August. I took my tech. And one of my weak spots on, on, the, on the quiz was the ionosphere. The, there's so many layers in there of uh, things going on. And uh, one thing I've learned is it's, it's very unpredictable. You, you think you understand it one day. And uh, for, for example, I was... Uh, Talk, trying to talk to somebody in New Jersey on HF, and uh, they could hear me, but I could not hear them for anything. And we're talking New Jersey to here is very short, but that's the way the band the band works sometimes. So be prepared for some unexpected things. And you find there's a lot of people like uh, like to show off their ham skills, you know, and uh, talk different things. I mean, see, so, you know, everybody knows a little bit different, you know, things than the other, and we're all ham radio operators we work together and uh you know, one of the things i guess i wanted to mention too is it's helped me a lot to learn <clears throat> to try to keep in mind that there's something they call a gentleman's agreement in ham radio it's kind of come from the old the old old school back when i used to be a novice in 85 and they said basically when you're operating your station try to make not only your experiences pleasurable for yourself, but to anybody else that might be on the frequency listening around, you know. So I try to keep that in mind, and that usually gives me a good um, head on my shoulders. But uh, we'll move on to the next uh, slide here. 
Okay, it says knife edge diffraction might cause radio signals to be heard despite obstructions between the transmitting and receiving stations. So uh, this is one of my, I'd say this is one of my weak points. I mean, I, I read it and I'm like, okay, sure, if, it, if you say so. <laughs> so if you understand it, great. Uh, there's a lot of those, there's a lot of these things on the, uh, on the uh, test, so don't get overwhelmed. A characteristic of VHF signals received via auroral reflection are signals that exhibit rapid fluctuations of strength and often sound distorted. Six meter and two meter radio waves will bounce off an auroral curtain. The leonoids and geminids are meteor showers. Meteor showers are fun for hams. Uh, the six meter band is best suited for communicating via meteor scatter. And again, that's one of those things and, uh, up there in outer space. I'm just starting to learn a little bit about it myself. And uh, with this stuff, I'm like, okay, if you say so, I'll understand it later. Now, any questions, uh, feel free to stop me. Tropospheric scatter is responsible for allowing over-the-horizon VHF and UHF communications to ranges of approximately 300 miles on a regular basis. This is because your signal gets caught, on, caught up in a warm air inversion located in the troposphere. It is also called tropospheric ducting. Temperature inversions in the atmosphere cause tropospheric ducting. And here I guess this is a diagram of different layers in the ionosphere and they're miles from Earth. So those are, those are layers, I know that. Uh, you've, I guess your D layer is the short, short layer E is your next next layer up, F1 is your one above that, and then I guess your F2 is the the one in the extreme. And I know I know this was one I got wrong on either my general or my or my tech. And you're allowed to get a few wrong, I guess, you know. But uh, I find it's always good it's always good to know your what you're what you're good at and what you're not good at because the next time you you go around you've got something to kind of study for yeah there's there's so much going on up there in the atmosphere it's uh it's a science in itself and that's one other good thing about this hobby that i've learned there's always something interesting in it uh it, it's a great hobby in that way and then you've got a lot of really smart people in there and never feel intimidated to go and stop any of us and say you know i got a question you know when you get your license get on there and if you don't know something just get in there, say your call sign, and say, I got a question. You know, you'll hear, you'll hear Peter or somebody else will jump in there, you know, just listening and, you know, answer any questions and uh, help you out. Still on weak signal propagation. The part of the atmosphere enables the propagation of radio signals around the world is the ionosphere. It is the ionosphere that gives us propagation all over North America and the world. So... I guess there's a little diagram showing that, and uh, the sun. The sun is. I know the sun is a huge part of uh, a big player in in all this. Uh, uh, me me being away from the hobby for about 30 years, I had a novice ticket in in '85, and uh, I don't really remember a lot of this material back then. I mean, because the internet's been been coming out, and uh, you know, you've got Google now and everything else. You could look up and you can find uh, pictures of the sun and different. Uh, polarized lenses and uh, just an incredible amount of knowledge there to learn uh, in itself with the behavior of the sun on the atmosphere and things like that so it's the ionosphere and this is I guess the uh, diagram for ionospheric layers and uh, 
shows the earth at the center and i guess there's those layers again that we saw in the other slide the uh f1 d and f layer uh i never understood why they have it a, call it an f1 and an f layer unless they're the same it might be a trick question on the test who knows that's one of the things i did notice there there, there were uh what i thought were questions on the tests both the general and and the tech and i guess probably all of them are going to be sort of like picking out which is the most correct answer out of the two because i have a habit of just looking i'm like yeah a is correct and i just i would just circle that immediately but i've i've learned now to read through all the questions and pick what is the most correct and i've learned there's a lot of times where there'll be a big long answer and i've usually got a lot of luck picking that big long answer because ham radio operators love to give detailed answers to questions so i found that helped helped me out a lot okay still on weak signal propagation six or 10 meters are a couple of bands that may provide long distance communications during the peak of the sunspot cycle. The time which is generally the best for long distance 10 meter band propagation via the F layer is <coughs> excuse me, from dawn to shortly after sunset during periods of high sunspot activity. And uh, I know this is one of the things I'm trying to figure out too is the sunspot activity. You know, I guess there's uh, ways to look it up on the internet and figure it out. It's got, it's got a lot to do with what bands are, I guess, hot. You know, which, which bands, the ones that the sunspots are hitting, are going to be the ones you could work the best, something like that. Except for propagation now where there's no sunspots. Well, we got, we're in a, like, a low cycle, right, right now? We're, we're beyond the low cycle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, there was a warning that came out today for the, up to May 10th that uh, advised, uh, we're in a, we have a coronal hole, which means there's a dead spot in the sun. And the coronal, we have a coronal hole, which is a dead spot in the sun. And uh, there are some uh, resulting uh, issues with what's coming off the sun, creating uh, both uh, geomagnetic problems uh, from the Earth's magnetic field and problems in what they call solar wind, which is radiation coming from the sun. And uh, propagation, particularly in the lower frequencies in the HF portion, uh, is going to be severely troubled in the next 10 days. It started a couple days ago. And you may go uh, a couple uh, megahertz either direction and, and find that uh, it's okay and otherwise it's totally wiped out. So we are being attacked by particles from the sun currently. And, and the reason why we're telling you this is because part of your technician license is you get 28,300 to 28,400 on 10 meters per phone. So right now 10 is dead, so you will have to deal with propagation even on your technician license. Right, and yeah, uh, I know I focused on two meters. It's like people have said earlier, it's it's sort of the easiest one to get. You know, you can get you get a two meter rig and get on there, hit hit the repeaters, and you need to know. You don't really need to know a lot of this uh, stuff because the repeaters are doing all the heavy lifting for you. And let's see, the next one says random combining of signals arriving via different paths can be the cause of, of irregular fading of signals received by ionospheric reflection. And I've heard that a little bit, and uh, not too much, but I've heard there's some 
strange things you can hear if you're listening to somebody and they sound warbled or their audio sounds strange it's probably something to do with that it could be their rig you know you could always ask them and you know make sure their rigs hooked up right but uh, a lot of times everybody's doing everything fine and nothing works that's just ham radio for you get used to it <laughs> Sporadic e-propagation is most commonly associated with occasional strong over-the-horizon signals on the 10, 6, and 2-meter bands. So, okay, that's sporadic e-propagation for you, uh, 10, 6, and 2-meter bands. When VHF signals are being received from long distances, this usually means the signals are being refracted from a sporadic e-layer. And that's another one where I, I say, okay... I'll agree with you if you say so, <laughs> if it works. <laughs> the orientation of the electric field is the property of a radio wave used to describe its polarization. It is easy to remember this field, this because the E field is the same orientation as the antenna element that creates it. Horizontal wires have horizontal electric fields. Vertical wires have vertical electric fields. So that's another thing maybe, I don't know if they brought it up already, but you've got, you've got polarization which if you've got a vertical antenna like your typical FM antenna on your truck or car is pointing straight up as a vertical. Uh, we have in ham radio a lot what we call dipoles. They're basically a vertical flipped horizontally and there's another element that goes out called the ground, the ground side. With your car antenna, it's, you're using your ground, what they call a ground plane is the whole negative chassis, the common ground to that is, 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 is your ground plane. But with a dipole, you've got a, a ground plane and then you've got sort of what they call it, a center lead. So you've got polarization where you could be talking on your, on two meter, it's usually, usually people are doing vertical, but you've got, you know, some people do the horizontal dipoles, but if you've got somebody transmitting with a vertical and you're on a vertical, the chances of you hearing them are a lot better because the signal's a lot polarized. But if you one's on a vertical, one's on a horizontal, it's gonna, you know, you can still stand a good chance of communicating, but there's gonna be the signal strength down a little bit there. So that's yeah. Picture your signal as a donut. You got a vertical antenna like your pencil standing vertically. You put a donut over top of it. That's how the signal of a vertical antenna radiates. Radiates, radiates at the tip. Like at a dipole, which is horizontal, the donut goes in sideways, and now picture the donut is the signal. Like your beams. You actually have to physically point the beam where you're trying to go. Right. Yeah, dipole is directional. V vertical isn't really directional. I, I, it's more omnidirectional, omni right? Yeah. All right. Skip signals refracted from the ionosphere are elliptically polarized. This results in that either vertically or horizontally polarized antennas may be used for transmission or reception. So that's sort of like what we spoke about before, just before. All right, so I guess this is the <coughs> question pool coming up. Okay, everybody ready? Take a deep breath. No pressure. <laughs> what is a usual name for electromagnetic waves that travel through space? C is correct, radio waves. What is the radio horizon? A is correct, the distance over which two stations can communicate by direct path. Why do you, VHF and UHF radio signals usually travel somewhat farther than the visual line of sight distance between the two stations? 
C is correct. The Earth seems less curved to radio waves than to light. Why are direct, not via a repeater, UHF signals rarely heard from stations outside your local coverage area? I hear C. C is correct. UHF signals are usually not reflected by the ionosphere. Which of the following might cause radio signals to be heard despite obstructions between the transmitting and receiving stations? A is correct, knife edge diffraction. I know I got that one wrong on my test. Uh, that was one of my killers. <laughs> what mode is responsible for allowing over the horizon VHF and UHF communications to ranges of approximately 300 miles on a regular basis? A is correct, tropospheric scatter. What causes tropospheric ducting? Okay, I hear a D and a B. It's going to be a 50-50 shot. Okay, D, temperature inversions in the atmosphere. And like I say, there's a lot to that atmosphere. The, that's one of, it was one of my weak areas. I'm always trying to study it and learn more about it myself. <coughs> what is a characteristic of VHF signals received via auroral reflection? Anyone brave? <laughs> B? B is correct. The signals exhibit rapid fluctuations of strength and often sound distorted. What band is best suited to communicating via meteor scatter? I hear A. B is six meters. Okay. Told you there's always one. And it always works out that way when you're making breakfast or a sandwich that somebody wants to talk to you, right? So <laughs> there you go. Okay, which part of the atmosphere enables the propagation of radio signals around the world? I hear C. Yeah, the ionosphere. Which of the following might be happening when VHF signals are being received from long distances? I hear B. D. Okay. Yep. D. Signals are being reflected from refracted from a sporadic E layer. What is generally the best time for long distance 10 meter band propagation via the F layer? A is correct, from dawn to shortly after sunset during periods of high sunspot activity. <coughs> Which of the following results from the fact that skip signals are refracted from the ionosphere are elliptically polarized? Uh, 
I hear B. B is right. Either vertically or horizontally polarized antennas may be used for transmission or reception. Which of the following propagation types is most commonly associated with occasional strong over-the-horizon signals on the 10, 6, and 2-meter bands? Yeah, B, I think we just had some similar question. Like, see, they're trying to throw a curve on you. You didn't fall for it. Which of the following bands may provide long-distance communications during the peak of the sunspot cycle? I hear A. Yeah, six or ten meters. All right, we are back here on Ham On. We're the time. The time has got us, so we'll have to. There's only a couple more questions, but you got the you gist of that. You're listening to Ham On on WTBRFM exclusively, yeah, yeah. the only ham radio show on Broadcast FM. Um, we remember, please support the radio station. Yeah. Go to WTBRFM.com and hit the donate button. Yeah, uh, to keep uh, all the producers happy and keep all the shows on the air and keep the station running uh, because uh, it's listener-supported radio. Pittsfield Community Radio, yeah. listener-supported radio. Without Real you, quick. there is no us. Well, without you, there is no us. And, um, you know, PCTV doesn't pay for this stuff. It's all listener-supported radio. Um, it's up to the listeners to keep the station on the air, keep the producers on the air. So real quick with your, I mean, real quick with your plea. Um, Berkshire Humane Society is looking mostly for small animal donations. That would be um, hay, that would be non-seed pellets. Uh, plain pellets, and they're looking for bird seed, they're looking for stuff for the small animals, and again, they're looking for kitty litter, as always. And, uh, wet cat food. And white cat food, and they're low on wet cat food, um, they're looking for, uh, wet cat food donations now. Um, if you can help out with the Berkshire Humane Society's Pet Food Pantry, Please go ahead and call them at 413-447-7878 or just show up at the Berkshire Humane Society from 1 to 4. They are looking for donations. Please help out. And thank you. And tell them you heard it here on Ham On and WTBR-FM. Yes. Remember, Monday, Beatles Forever, 4 to 6, live. We are now live for the Beatles show um, on WTBR-FM. And please support the radio station. Uh, WTBRFM.com. Go to the donate button and support and help out with whatever you can. Till next week, this is Peter. This is Jessica. And Darlene in the back. And we'll say 73. And, 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 and anybody wants anything to know about the hobby, tests or classes or anything, KD2JKV at ARRL.net. On behalf of the cast and crew of WTBRFM, and ham on 73 to all and we will talk to you next week bye everybody obi-wan kenobi obi-wan now that's a name i've not heard in a long time a long time